Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And today, we're going to talk about the space environment in which business, surveillance, travel all takes place. It's like from Earth's surface up to the top of the atmosphere. That's something we haven't talked about. Chuck. Hey. That's yeah, where we're going today. Yes, that's right. We're, it's, we're, I, like, I like space junk better then. <laughs> See, you said, it, you said it all fancy. I just like, <laughs> like, I, I just like to say space junk. Like, space junk. Yeah, I, I almost, space junk. Almost hear like Quincy Jones in the back. Bum, 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 Sanford and Son in space. Exactly. That'll be the next. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got one of the world's, if not the world's expert on this very subject right here with Star Talk. And, I, and his name is Moriba Ja. Moriba, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with all of you. Yeah, so you're an astrodynamicist and space environmentalist. That sounds like if no one knew what that was, you would have to invent it just because the world needs it, right? Is that, is that a fair way to describe what you do? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's, you know what though? I gotta tell you, there that that means that there was a time when there wasn't when there such where we didn't <laughs> need exactly. you. So it, this is not didn't. a good thing that you exist because you know it's like it's like social media manager. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there was a time that meant that you had somebody who you were clearly a person who socialized with the media quite a bit. And, you know, you needed somebody to handle that. It didn't mean what it means now. So, right, like, right, right, right. It's right. a bad thing that we have to have it's a bad. It's a bad thing that you exist. I, yes. I'm sorry. I've got to say that. No, no, no. I agree with all of you uh, full-heartedly. You know, after, after about 1957 with the launch of Sputnik, my, 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 the need for me to exist uh, began to grow. Right. Mm. So now mm. Sputnik... Well, let me finish with the man's resume. Oh, so, I I'm sorry. There's, I already know it's all in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready so, to talk to him because he's got some fascinating stuff. I'm sorry. He's got some fascinating stuff. So he's a professor and researcher at UT Austin at the Cockrell School of Engineering. And so let me just give the list here because every one of these could be like an entire Star Talk. Non-gravitational astrodynamics. I love that. But I don't know what in the universe is moving without the influence of gravity. Uh, advanced nonlinear multi-sensor object tracking. Sounds like the Pentagon needs you. Prediction and information fusion. What a space object detection. This man is like, okay, if we're going to have a space war, I want him on our side. Tell me about it. <laughs> but on top of that, and we'll get to it um, in a later segment, but I want to put it up front right here. Um, eyes on the sky, mixed reality experience. That's not with the engineering department. What is that? Yeah, so interestingly enough, we have some faculty that are in the fine arts and uh, they've created something called Texas Immersive. 
And it's really trying to combine digital and physical experience for storytelling. Wow. Okay, so this would, this would increase the impact of any kind of science that you do. Absolutely, yeah. 110% because uh, one of the things that I've seen is just going to talk to scientists, it's like the echo chamber and it, you know the self-licking ice cream cone, not so, not so useful. So I need to be able to reach, reach people and the, the storytelling with mixed reality seems to be something that could really help. I love that. And, and the website is eyesonthesky.org. So that's good. So Chuck, what I keep interrupting. No, I was just going to say, I just want to be a self-licking ice cream cone now. That, <laughs> that sounds awesome. That just sounds like the happiest thing in the world. Yeah, but I think it's, there's a limit, though. I think there's, that's part of the problem here. Right. It's like, like the snake eating its tail. Yes, exactly. There's a point there's a, where that doesn't really work out for, for the, the snake or the tail. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're actually going to turn this into a Cosmic Queries where we've actually solicited uh, questions from our fan base. I, Chuck, I think you have those questions, right? I, I hope so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give me the other Chuck. Who does <laughs> exactly. <All right. laughs> uh, where's the Chuck that has the questions? <laughs> but before we get there, while Chuck is finding his questions, um, Moribai, you, you wrote something recently just uh, towards the end of May, which seemed to me to be a kind of a, a, a self-reflection autobiographical sort of memoir, sort of it's an arc of life from your beginnings to where you are right now. And I just want to ask what compelled you to write that? Because it is a highly unusual story. And between you and me, every interesting person I know and have ever met has had an unusual background. It wasn't just that linear fact, go to college, go to graduate school, get the, get the degree, get the degree, and then boom. No, the most interesting people are the ones who've lived a little. And often that living involves uh, stress, trauma, uh, failures, as well as achievements. So um, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, look, I mean, um, I grew up in Venezuela and, you know, I went to military school for high school and a lot of uh, trial and tribulation going through that. I enlisted in the U.S. military when I graduated and I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Uh, Watched plenty of Top Gun when I was a teenager, so that was like my dream. I never thought that space would uh, have a place for me. And um, and yeah, basically as a security guard guarding nukes in Montana, that's when I started noticing dots going across the sky that disappeared in the middle of the sky. And I'm like, is it just me seeing this? Like, is this a UFO? Like, what is this, right? I just, I was completely ignorant. And uh, when I found- But just to be clear, yeah. it most definitely was- a UFO, because right. you didn't know what you were looking at. <laughs> <It was laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was definitely UFO for me, right? And so definitely for, for others, for me, others, it would have been an IFO that night for you. It was a UFO. Okay, absolutely. So yeah, so basically, uh, you know, when I when I was able to figure out that um, these things were human made objects reflecting sunlight and going through Earth's shadow, that really that really crystallized this curiosity for me to want to know more about that. And that that's where my, I think my path towards astrodynamics and motion of stuff in space started. Chuck, you see what happens when you look up sometimes? See what happens? And now by you in Philadelphia, I don't know where, where you've been looking. Uh, when we looked but... up, when I looked up, what I saw was a ceiling. <laughs> so not quite the same. <laughs> by the way, you have to not only look up, you have to be curious about what you see. Right. Exactly what Moriba was doing. Okay, so how... 
Uh, were you American born in Venezuela, not Venezuelan? Yeah, Otherwise, so, you couldn't just join the U.S. military. No, that that's uh, good for you to notice that. So I was born here in, in the U.S., in San Francisco, actually. My mom's from uh, Haiti, my father from Sierra Leone. Uh, they got divorced when I was very young. My mom met this guy from Venezuela, so we moved to Venezuela when I was seven years old. Wow, okay. And tell me about your your life in terms of discipline. Because to be a, a faculty member at a major university specializing in the fields you do requires discipline. So, so how do you go from, from, uh, from my reading your tract, basically no discipline to discipline? Because that's, uh, that's a, if that's a secret you can let out, I and think many people by the way, that should be it. your new job. <laughs> Teaching people that. <laughs> want to talk about getting paid. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I, um, I think when I was a teenager and kind of having some moments of self-reflection and going through some very low points in my life, and I think that I kind of discovered I want my life to serve a purpose uh, for humanity, for other people. And I think the discipline came as a function of my inner commitment to, to that inner clarion call of Thou shalt do something uh, that's useful for humanity and don't let other people's opinion become your reality sort of thing. So I think that's where that came from. Okay. So, but that takes a level of maturity, particularly growing up, to even realize that. Yeah. I mean, I, um, having gone through military school, I think that was being forced to grow up faster than a regular teenager would have. And then doing four years in the military at a nuclear missile base in Montana, that was also uh, something that instilled some hard knocks discipline into, into me as well. Yeah, if that doesn't, I don't know what will. <laughs> Here's the nukes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on watch. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of hard to um, screw that up and then you can't get out of it with a my bad. Like, My bad, that doesn't work. Yeah. You're eating a sandwich and you sit back right. on the control board and bam, you right. pop the button. <laughs> yeah, that's my, my bad for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, that's right. It's everybody's bad. Yeah, everybody's right. bad. So uh, before we get to our Q&A, could you give me some sense, give us all, some sense of the magnitude of the problem of space junk right now? Yeah. So. In 1957, we launched Sputnik, one, one satellite that, uh, you know, didn't, didn't live in orbit uh, too long. But since 1957, we've been launching hundreds, thousands of things. And it turns out that now we track almost 30,000 individual objects in, you know, in orbit around the Earth, ranging in size from cell phone all the way to the space station. These things are in different orbital highways going at very fast speeds, as you know. And so when two things meet at the same place at the same time and the speeds are quite different, bad things happen and they become smaller pieces and they, those collisions generate more garbage and that sort of thing. So, um, and we don't have any sort of space traffic rules, protocols, practices that people say, hey, yeah, you know, if, if I'm going to head towards you uh, and you're headed towards me, we'll both turn left or do this. Or th there, there are no rules of thumb uh, 
you know, in, in Earth orbit, which makes things a little bit worse. Well, you mentioned things smaller, the size of a cell phone, but you don't mean actual cell phones are in space, do you? Well, yeah. So actual cell, to the best of my knowledge, we don't have actual cell phones uh, in, in Earth orbit, but it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if an astronaut went on a spacewalk and decided to pop this thing out and, you know, they left it like uh, they've left wrenches and these sorts of things, and, and people just don't talk about it sort of wow. stuff. Stuff that fell out of people's pockets. Exactly. That's yeah. right. It also wouldn't um, surprise me if uh, if somebody has my carrier, which I won't disparage publicly, but they actually were just trying to get some service. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how far they had to go to try and get a damn signal. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what they needed to do for the commercial, man, is actually, like, go up to the space station and see see how well that worked. Yeah, mm, mm, yeah mm. actually, that's a good advertisement. I'll buy that. Right? I mean? That's the carrier I'm going with. Well, so I love your expertise. Let's see how our fan base, uh, where they come from with regard to your expertise and their curiosity. So Chuck, what do you have? All right, for uh, Dr. Morbaja, we have questions that uh, come from our Patreon patrons, which is how we solicit our questions now. It used to be that we gleaned them from the various uh, iterations that we find ourselves on the internet. But now, if you want, you just uh, support us on patreon.com and uh, mm -hmm. and then we'll, we'll read your question. Here's the deal. All right. um, Jeff Johnson of Salt Lake City, Utah says, uh, Dr. Jha, can you please give us some insight into China's recent space station snafu? Were they mm. irresponsible or was there uh, really little to no danger to Earth's inhabitants? So, or did they do it on purpose? Yeah, <laughs> right. So, yeah, so this, this, this uh, is with a rocket booster from one of the, the stages and it just, they didn't know where it was going to fall. And I thought, when you launch something that big, you put little retro rockets or something on it, and you guide the thing into the, the great toilet bowl of space, the Pacific Ocean. So what, what went wrong here, or what was not in the planning from the beginning? Yeah, so I think you got it, uh, as they say, tickety-boo uh, there, Neil, in, in that the responsible thing would have been to outfit this rocket with uh, you know propellant and thrusters to force it into maximize the chance of the thing not surviving reentry but you know when you when you leave it to mother nature to clean up the mess uh hard to predict what mother nature is going to do sometimes and so i think that's where the the increased risk uh is and you know until china uh actually puts on these thrusters for subsequent rocket bodies it's it's a problem and and it, it's it's really bad news to make the world, uh, you know, spin up on, you know, is the sky actually going to fall on me today? And uh, well, we So, try so it that. sounds like the Wild West. It, it, aren't we overdue for some rules and regulations, a treaty that everyone, the, a tr treaty for what you do with your trash. <laughs> it's a trash treaty. <laughs> All right. Everybody gets together. Here's how you dispose of the recyclables, the, the smelly trash, the, the, the burnable trash. Why don't we have that? Yeah, so the interesting thing is that we do have a United Nations Convention on Liability and Damage, and it specifically states uh, that, you know, the, the, the parties to, to the treaty should avoid harmful interference. I would say that 
a big rocket body falling on top of your head would constitute harmful interference. Uh, but the thing is, it's so loosely interpreted that perhaps China is saying, well, we don't necessarily consider that harmful. Harmful interference is not really defined. And I think that's the major issue. So from a sheerly uh, uh, lit litigious standpoint, they were not sheerly? Is that a word? Is that a is that a right. word, Chuck? Sheerly? I don't know. It is now. Sheerly? <laughs> Sheerly? Sheerly. Uh, no, from a sheer uh, litigious standpoint. Of, like, or pertaining to sheer. Yes. Sheerly. Sheerly. Okay, fine. Right. There you go. So they, fine. they are, I told you it's a word now. <laughs> In the Czech dictionary. I love, I love it. Look, let me tell you something. There's three dictionaries, all right? Uh, you got Webster's, you got Oxford, and you got Chuck. So, yeah, yeah. There you go. So, uh, but so if if you are looking technically by the law, they're mm -hmm. not irresponsible. But then, if you wanted to attach morals to this, then yes, they would be irresponsible. Yeah, ab absolutely right. And I think uh, you know most of the world agrees that this is not behavior that they want to see uh, carry carry on ca carried forward and. They should do something responsible about it, just like Neil said, uh, finding a way to purposefully deorbit this thing so that at least there's some intent with how the thing might uh, reenter and, and hopefully, you know, burn up. So, All right, that begs the next question. Is it from Patreon or is it from you? No, nah, it's from me. Yeah. I told you, I, you want to ask a question, you go I better join Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I just joined while we were here. <laughs> okay. All right. I wouldn't know. All right, okay. go. Has the United States ever done this. All right, we will get to that after the break. All right, yeah, so it's one thing to point your finger if, if you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone. We will get back to that when Star Talk returns. Space Junk, be there. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. 
and at Comfort Hotels. You'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey, I'm Roy Hill Percival, and I support Star Talk on Patreon. Bringing the universe down to Earth, this is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back, Star Talk. Got special guest Mora Bajar, who's a professor of was it astrodynamics? Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. Astrodynamics. I love it. I love it. Uh, at the University of Texas at Austin, and is in their School of Engineering. And I have Chuck. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no. no, before the break, Chuck asked a great question. And even though he's not on Patreon, I'll let him ask this question. <laughs> it was, here we are pointing our fingers at China for dropping one of their boosters. No, who knows where, right? Well, we know where, but they didn't know where until it hit. So are we without guilt in this game of lost boosters? No, we're not. In fact, I would say in, in low Earth orbit, where you can think of low Earth orbit going from about, I don't know, roughly uh, 100 kilometer altitude to about you know 1,200 kilometer altitude, there's probably about 2,000 uh, dead rocket bodies, derelict rocket bodies. Uh, of, of the 2,000, probably about 1,300 belong to Russia. Uh, launched from the Soviet uh, Union era and all that stuff. Um, wow, and, still there. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, still mm-hmm. there. And and the remain out of the remaining seven hundred, I'm thinking that uh, somewhere about uh, three hundred and fifty of those are Chinese, and the rest are American. So so the U.S. has quite a few uh, hundred dead rocket bodies that are kind of like ticking time bombs. And um, yeah. Oh, and you know, none of them have have uh, have will have a controlled reentry. Exactly, that's what you're telling us. That's what I'm telling oh, you. Oh, okay. So, of all the non-controlled reentries going forward, based on your statistics, half will be old Russia, half of the half that remains is China, and then what remains is going to be us. So, yep. so watch that space. Plus, Skylab, we didn't have that. Seems like enough people went in and out of Skylab, we should have known where that would have fallen, and we didn't at the time. I was alive and around and ready for that. And I remembered Baskin-Robbins, the ice cream store, said, if you get hit with a Skylab part, you will get an ice cream cone that has every one of their flavors stacked on top of it. <laughs> wow, what a, what, what a prize, right? What a prize for being dead. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me, what, was, what happened with Skylab, America's first Skylab laboratory? Yeah, I mean, um, as 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 you said, that thing re-entered, and um, people were pretty freaked out about that. I remember the Mir space station; uh, th- those were th- that's the one that I remember was Mir, and uh, e- even that was a very you know scary experience. That's uh, the Russian people. Russian space station. All right, so we are not without guilt. So we just have to. It'd be nicer if we weren't pretend we were high and mighty 
uh, as we point well, out. Well, that kind of brings up exactly. uh, that that brings further to, to bear the point that you made about having international rules, actual yeah, rules. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. then everybody would have to follow them. Or you know, yeah, yeah. Chuck, give me some more questions. All right, here we go. This is uh, Robert Weaver, and he says. Um, Hey, would it be possible to use uh, the Lagrange point to make a giant pile of space debris? Seems like that would be easier than bringing it all back to Earth and much more ethical than just flinging it out into space. Also, in the future, we could use it like an auto junkyard. And when we Mm. want components or metals or stuff like that, we could just go to that to build in space instead of recycling. Oh, wow. So, so more, but tell us first about Lagrange points. Yeah, so basically these are points in a three-body system where uh, you have some stable and some unstable points, places where uh, this gravitational influence in in that system is, let's let's say, kind of null. Things cancel each other out. Um, But yeah, out of the five five points, uh, out of the five Lagrange points, uh, I believe two of them are, are stable and the other three are unstable. And so... I would say this, we need to find ways of not creating orbital landfills. So, so, so the thing is sending stuff to Lagrange point uh, while you might be able, and oh, by the way, even when you send stuff there, it doesn't mean it just stays there forever. Like, you know, eventually the thing's going to drift out just due to perturbations that are non-gravitational, uh, mostly in that sort of stuff. Plus, as, as Neil, you, you, you know this, uh, there's more than just a few bodies in, in, in the universe. And so eventually, uh, you know, the curvature of space-time will force these things out uh, if they're uncontrolled. So it's not a good answer and uh, uh, it's not a viable solution. And we should avoid uh, f- trying to find a place in space to just send garbage to. So, uh, uh, yeah. And, and so basically, let me just see if I got this right. He's asking whether or not we could create a celestial equivalent of our ocean's great garbage patch. Yeah. <laughs> which is where the currents come together and create a stillness. That's right. yeah, and yeah. then that's And let's do that in space. And we'll just let's do, do that, that in space. space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we don't, we don't want to do that, Chuck. Okay, so just let me throw some astrophysics in here, okay? The, one of the Lagrange, one of the attractive Lagrange points in the Jupiter orbit the Jupiter-Sun orbit, there's a leading Lagrange point and a trailing Lagrange point. If you look there, there are asteroids that have collected there. And they're called the Trojan asteroids. And so it's, it's fascinating. And we knew to look there because we said, here's a place where all the gravitational forces cancel out. So there's got to be some, anything that sort of drifts in won't have a reason to drift out very quickly or right. at all. Right. So we actually find these places that have, are repositories, but I like the trash heap example. Uh, and I think a Sanford and Son space in space, we should do that. Yeah. For sure, we, when, if we do do that, it should have the theme song that goes along with it. <laughs> it should have the Without theme song. Yeah. <laughs> we agree yeah. for three, for three yeah, on three. By the way, every time you drop something off in that great uh, junkyard in the sky, you should hear, shut up, dummy. And that's <laughs> <me>. <laughs> All right, give me some, give me some more. All right, here we go. This is Chris Newbury, and Chris says, uh, 
hey, Chuck, bet you don't get my last name correct on the first try. Oh, man. Uh, that, <laughs> and that, that, uh, see, I should read these first. Uh, I'm going to say Newbry <laughs> instead of Newbury. But anyway, because it's uh, N-E-W-B-R-Y. Uh, Dr. Tyson, just love you and uh, love uh, your Cosmic Queries book. Um, SpaceX, the idea that put 42,000 satellites into orbit for optimal internet around the world. That being said, does that put a lot of junk into orbit? How much does that increase the risk of future endeavors uh, of this rock having such a net surrounding it? Oh, so uh, let me reshape that slightly. So more of a, if we have functioning satellites, then they're not junk. But if you have thousands and thousands of functioning satellites, isn't there still a risk that they could collide with each other? Yeah, And, and and so I would say this, low Earth orbit is already building itself up to be this place with these functioning satellites, like you said, owned by different companies, but there isn't a, a space traffic coordination uh, entity, right? So, so the thing is, people are making decisions about how to maneuver and go, you know, how they want their satellites to behave, but they're doing that in the absence of coordinating with other people that are also making decisions. And so that does increase the risk of things, uh, you know, bumping into each other in the night, so to speak. And it's not, and space isn't just so supremely empty that we shouldn't worry about it. No, because we have very specific orbital highways where we put these satellites given the purpose that we want. And right now, for instance, uh, you know, with SpaceX and the Starlinks, which, oh, by the way, you know, out of the nearly 30,000 objects that we track, um, about 3,500 are working satellites, and Elon owns about, you know, 1,500 of those. So, so it's already wow. quite a bit. But uh, wait, wait, so wait, Chuck, Elon is going to become Skynet. Oh my there you God. Go. Oh, yes. Look at that. And Skynet's going to be achieve consciousness. Right. And then, that's and then the control end of the robots. And that's by the, the way, Neil, he's your friend. <laughs> I do count him as a friend. But, but, that, that, <laughs> but just, you say that like, okay, I'm also to blame just because I know the guy. Right. Well, so hold on a second. So I'm not saying that that Elon is a, is at fault for anything. What I'm what I am saying is that he owns most of the working uh, satellites uh, in Earth orbit. He will continue to own most of them, um, a, as I see now, given the fact that he's got licenses to to launch. And so, pretty much, if you want to go beyond 500 kilometer altitude, you've got to coordinate with Elon because because you got to go through his layer. Uh, of, of, mm. of of Starlink satellites. So the coordination piece is really important and that has not uh, become manifest yet. So that is an issue. So I got this. Elon is the next James Bond. So yeah. he's 008. And they say, uh, uh, <laughs> license to launch. <laughs> license right. to launch. Right? License to launch. Yeah, yeah, license yeah. to launch. Exactly. That's the next thing. Right. Mm. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, that sounds ominous. <laughs> I know, right, right. Because right. uh, that guy may be on his way to being the uh, the first uh, real supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> and you heard how quickly Morba 
backpedal on, on pulling out his name. No, let me say something nice about him before you go to the next topic. <laughs> I didn't mean he's bad. No, 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 he's good. There's nothing wrong with Elon. Yeah, we all know that Jeff Bezos is really the bad one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's okay. the villain. Yeah, exactly. Plus, he's bald like, like um, you know Lex Luthor. He, he actually does make for the perfect like, Lex Luthor. Yeah, he's going to be the world's first trillionaire, probably, because he'll be the <laughs> one that will land on an asteroid and mine it for all of and his presents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, all right, cool. Let's go to... Uh, keep, keeping going. Avnish Joshi. And Avnish says this. Hi, Dr. Tyson, Mr. Nice, and Dr. Ja. I am 10 years old, and I want to be an astrophysicist. My parents Whoa. gifted me with the Star Talk subscription on my birthday, and this makes me super, super excited. Damn, now we can't have potty mouth on the show. <laughs> we, damn. Uh, so he says this. I read my. I read that space debris is causing the night sky to be much brighter. Why does this happen if it does? And will it not make stargazing that much more difficult? How can we overcome it? Wow. Man. Look at this kid. Man, what were you doing when you were 10? Yeah. Tell, <laughs> okay. tell you one thing. It wasn't that. <laughs> it wasn't that. <laughs> That's a good answer, Maura. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know the answer, but that is the answer. That's yeah, the I, I was writing letters like, Dear Santa Claus. <laughs> and people were like, You're, You still believe in Santa? Anyway, go ahead. So, so what about night sky observing? What's going on there? Yeah, so I will say this, right? I, uh, I'm actually working with the astronomy community to try to quantify uh, the effects and impacts of, you know, these pieces of human stuff, uh, you know, orbiting the earth and they do reflect sunlight. So, so in a sense, it's light pollution coming from the skies towards the ground, towards large pieces of glass. And yeah, when you look at the night sky, if you're in a place dark enough, you're going to see more dots going across the sky than you did a decade ago. That, that, that's happening now and it's not going to get any better. So I would say to you, uh, 10-year-old, what's his name again? Uh, Abnish. Abnish. So I'll say to you, Abnish, it's the skies are not going to get less polluted with time because we're going to keep on launching satellites. And so the night skies are going to be changing. And I would love it if you could, uh, you know, be part of the group of folks trying to find, you know, solutions to the the problem. So how about this? Once again, we're admitting we messed up everything. everything. And we got it. We can't wait till the next generation get older and fix it. That's all. Yeah, the real sorry, Avnish. Uh, yeah, you're screwed, and we did it. <laughs> uh, basically, that's the answer. <laughs> so sorry, Avnish, you're screwed, and we and we are responsible. We're responsible. We're responsible, buddy. Yeah, uh, you'll find us at the, in the Bahamas. Right, exactly. you, you'll fix the world. Uh, by the way, you fix the world. I'll, 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 be, yeah. I'll be in Tahiti spending your. Inheritance. <laughs> so let me ask. What would you say, Morba? Yeah, yeah, no. So basically, I was just saying uh, what Chuck had said is that uh, you know, basically, I'm trying to quantify the problem for Abnisha's generation to try to do something about it. I guess. Yeah, that's great. Okay, I mean, it's cool. you're really kind of a voice crying in the wilderness right now, my friend. You are indeed the John the Baptist of space junk because. Nobody is really paying attention to this, so it's important work to kind of wake people up about this issue, you know? Well, that's I, a second I, religious reference here. Yeah, no, I, I really that. appreciate that, but I know how John's story ends. Ah! Exactly. <laughs> I was about to say. Yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was great. That was very funny. Okay. All right, let me ask you this. All right. Wait, wait. So for the atheists out there, yeah. uh, John the Baptist had his head served 
To is it Salome? Yes, who, who, absolutely. Who ordered, yep. ordered up his head. Yeah, yep. yeah. Here we go. Uh, let me all ask right. you this: in terms of all this, no, no, you're not. No, I'm, I'm I on Patreon ask questions. questions. No, no, Gosh. one per segment. All okay, right, here go. Here we go. Here we go. Here's the next one. This is from uh, uh, Simaya Cosmica. Okay, and she says, which is the cosmic seed. Are there noticeable effects caused by space junk in the scientific astrophotography that interfere with ground-based observatories? This is kind of like what Avnish was talking about, but mm-hmm. more on the more professional level. When we look up into the sky, uh, is there any research? Is there any uh, discovery that is being hindered because of all this junk in space? And we got to do that when we come back. <laughs> <laughs> From this next break, we'll find out uh, all the ways that space junk may be harming the professional community, uh, even if it's just another interesting object to watch from the uh, from your backyard. So, on Star Talk, stay tuned. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. We're back. Star Talk. And we're talking about space debris, space junk, and it's the cosmic queries, just trying to find out how, what's going on and how and why. Mm-hmm. And we left off, Chuck, yes. with the question, and who is it from? Teresina is her name, but she calls herself the Cosmic Seed. The Cosmic Seed. Oh, very nice. So uh, I, I know at least this much, Morba, that these satellites that reflect sunlight, and you can see them streaking across the sky, that's primarily in twilight, when you're deep in twilight, but once all of the sky above you is Earth's shadow in space, then they don't, the satellites above you don't see sunlight and so they don't reflect. So can you think of another cost to night sky observing if you can't otherwise see them because they're deep in Earth's shadow? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so these, these objects in space, uh, they're, getting, they're, they're getting heated up by by uh, you know the solar solar uh, radiation and also uh, thermal thermal radiation from 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 the Earth if they're sufficiently low uh, gets to where the satellites are as well and so when these things go in a shadow they're radiating heat and so from oh. from an infrared uh, you know wavelengths uh, very important band that we use in modern right. astrophysics because mm-hmm. not right. everything just gives visible light. So with, exactly. yeah, we want to be sensitive to infrared. Okay, go on. Yeah. So so that's where these things are now emitters of 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 uh, you know infrared uh, radiation that that then pollutes uh, the folks that are doing IR uh, imaging from astronomy. Uh, wow. Observatories. That mm. is first fascinating, but just something you really wouldn't think about because we. We tend to think about everything in terms of visible light, which is well. Jordy on Star Trek would have seen it. 
<laughs> right away, right? Yeah, he yeah, would yeah, have. Yeah, because he's got full-spectrum vision. Yes, right. exactly. Right. Right. Wow, that right. is so cool. All right, so now there's another segment. Give me, and, and this this is segment, I'm a, you're allowed one now question per segment, Chuck. question. Okay. Okay. All right, so one of, the, uh, one of the reasons why we have all this stuff in space is because they forget just the replenishment of uh, outdated, uh, you know, equipment, like so new satellites. They're doing something for us, like so GPS or geosynchronous. Like they're they're all doing so communications, weather. They're all doing something for us. What if? Would it help if there were like a giant relay station? So you wouldn't put your satellite up into space. You would connect to that satellite relay station that would serve as your satellite here on Earth. It, you know, so a geosynchronous... Relay, a satellite hub. A satellite hub. Thank you, Neil. So mm-hmm. a geosynchronous satellite hub that would allow you to, through like lasers, to connect anywhere on Earth. So the satellite hub is all connected. And then on Earth, you would connect to that satellite hub instead of throwing a piece of equipment in the sky. I'm making this up as an idea that I just want to know, could that work? And, and Chuck, I'm going to tell you once I tell you a thousand times, stay off the drugs. Okay? <laughs> 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 That's just a line from, from uh, Coming to America, actually. But go on. <laughs> yeah, so more about what, what, what do you think of that, that concept? Here's everybody doing independent things. Well, maybe right. a lot of people want to do the same thing. Right. So, so I want to say that there's merit to your idea, Chuck. Absolutely. Oh, uh, man, that was the best blow-off I've received in a long time. He didn't have to finish. He didn't have to finish. He went with, there's merit to your idea. In other words, that is the dumbest crap I've ever no. heard. Would you let the man be polite? Okay. Yeah, yeah, be yeah. polite on, on the show. Okay. No, so look, I think, it, I think it's a great idea if you could get enough people to buy into it, right? But uh, the thing is, nobody's nobody's been able to kind of assemble this sort of consortium mentality behind doing something like that. Everybody wants to, they have their own investors. They want to do right. their own thing. They want right. sovereignty, full independence, yada, right. yada, yada. So people have thought about doing this for Mars, actually. A Mars okay. relay. A Mars just relay. Like you said. So, so, oh my God. Now you just opened up a whole new perspective on space junk for me just now, which is, it is emblematic of our greater problematic disposition here on Earth. Which is wait, wait, wait. it's emblematic of our problematic yes disposition, disposition. Which is you you had a sentence with those three words in it. What's wrong with that? Emblematic of a problematic disposition. Yes. Okay. Is that right. is, I'm just trying to follow you here. Huh? Okay. Yeah. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. Okay. Go on. I mean, go here's on. the deal. The deal is this. You, you know, we can't. We don't really cooperate. I mean, scientists do. But other than that, let's be for real. Outside of like scientists on this earth, we are effed. Nobody gets together and says, hey, guys, do you, got, do you want to do this? Or hey, so guys. There are four things. Just to be clear, there are four things. There's science. Okay. The Olympics. All right. The World Cup. Okay. And the waging of war. These are the only things that nations right, I'm a, coordinate I'm, for. I'm going to eliminate one of those, Neil, <laughs> for, I think, <laughs> obvious reasons. But I'm anyway, just saying. I'm just saying. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that's so weird. Like, this problem in the sky from what you just, you know, uh, said to us, 
is the fact that we're not together. We can't right. get together. Yep. Well, we did it with the space station. Space station, except we kicked China out of it for, right. for, and then they made their own damn space station. Exactly. Right? Putting more junk in the sky. <laughs> well, space station is not really junk, though. Okay. Wow. No, it's the size of a football field. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really cool, man. All mm-hmm. right, here we go. Uh, All right, you got your damn question. Now let's go back to Patreon. All right, this is uh, Teresina Rojas, again, who says this, because I like her questions. Is there a plan underway to remove this doggone Earth junk, I mean, space junk orbiting Earth? If so, I imagine it must be really expensive. Or is there a way to put together a plan so that someone could yield a great profit? Ah, Mm. so she's tapping into the real deal, which is how do we make money off of the space (laughs) junk? Because once you start doing that, everybody will race to remove space junk. Yeah, that's how you motivate people. So yeah, any plans? Yeah, more about because it? it sounds pretty hopeless. Well, so so in order to like monetize the whole uh, you know space garbage cleaning thing, a couple of things have to happen first. Um, for one, I think we need sustainability metrics, like being able to say, look, here's this orbit highway. This is the carrying capacity for the orbit. It's saturated or it's going to be exceeded. And so in order to get capacity back, we need to remove some stuff, right? And um, then we could actually hire somebody just like, uh, you know, tow truck. Maybe, we, you know, we, when you see a piece of, uh, you know, some car on the side of the freeway, um, you can't just go into it and pull it off the road, right? We have tow trucks that come by and do that. And so we could have the equivalent, you know, orbital tow truck company that, uh, you know, gets paid to provide capacity back to an orbit. But without that metric, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because there's no rhyme or reason. Like, what's the benefit of removing this object versus that one, right? So I got it. You, yeah. you create a space tax, right. and that tax supports the cleanup to the beautification of the highways. Booyah. Right? And that way, every launch, there's a little bit of money there that'll help get your ass back out of orbit in case you... Yeah. You you, uh, you go dead. Yeah. Mm. How about drones? Is there any way that we would be able to dispatch drones that would attach themselves to whatever? I know these things are moving at incredibly fast speeds, Mm -hmm. but that would be able to um, safely deorbit them. So the drone and the and whatever it is together with the drone would just drag it down to a place where well normally drones have. Propeller blades, which require no, air. no. These are jet powered drones. Jet drones, jet powered drones. Yeah, no. Jetpack drones. Jetpack <laughs> drones. Yeah, they wouldn't be, you know. But okay. and they would only fire. They would be dispatched, but they would only fire to drag the piece back down to yeah. where the gravity would then take over. I got it. Mm-hmm. What, well, what about what about something like that? Well, so here's the thing, Chuck. I mean, gravity is always doing its thing. Uh, so, so that, so it's, it's always there. The things are always falling right towards something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, basically, you know, if, if you could have a a satellite that attaches to something to bring it back down, there's several companies that have proposed something like that. I think Astroscale, uh, out of Japan is one of them. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So Chuck, you do have, having some good, I'm getting on your case, but these are some good ideas. Okay. All right. It's not bad. All right. right. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Hey, this is Gary Marmol. And Gary Marmol says, Hey, Neil and Dr. Ja, if light photons can push and pull a spacecraft, why not bring 
the laser for a ride. So he's looking at like solar sails. Why can't we do something like a solar sail on the pieces that are floating up there as junk? Wow, so you have, you have an orbiting laser that you aim and knock satellites back down in a controlled way for them to reenter and burn up. And cooler, and the coolest thing about it is when the laser fires, it goes. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> the space laser. Nice. All right, we have the sound effects already here. I like you that. heard it on Star Talk. Yeah, yeah. No, so so look, um, certainly there are a couple of groups of people that are trying to do something like that from the ground as kind of like a risk reduction, a demonstration of the ability of lasers to effectively remove some. Uh, objects from orbit. People in Australia and Canberra are doing that. Some folks in Germany, uh, you know, Stuttgart and that sort of thing. So people are already looking at applying these lasers, at least from the ground, to test that out. But yeah, here's the problem, Chuck, is that when you put the laser in space to do that, um, people from a space security perspective start having concerns because a threat is something that has the opportunity, capability, and intent to cause harm. And so with a laser, you clearly have an opportunity capability to harm something. Then the question is, how do you rule in or out the intent of of this? If you can use it to push uh, junk out of the way, then maybe you could do some damage to a working satellite and how would you know and that sort of thing. So it gets a bit Mm, contentious. Right. Interesting. And interesting enough that you said that about the threat, uh, who's to say that you won't use it to push my working satellite That's right. and disrupt my communications? Yeah, yeah, right. Right, right. Or, or maybe you did have good intent and then someone else takes control that you don't have control over. Right, right. So, right. so it's like someone steals your gun and then they commit a crime, yep. but it was your gun. Right. right. So, mm. Interesting. Oh, man. Damn. This is really a... This is quite the perplexing little problem that you It's because it's the Wild West. It's, it's the crazy. Wild West, except it's space. It really <laughs> it's is. That's right. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Well, let's... Uh, it's Cowboys versus Aliens. Right. Cowboys versus Aliens. I saw that movie. <laughs> so did I. I didn't quite know what to make of it. but Yeah, I didn't really like it that much. But, you know, except for the scenes where the aliens were doing, um, uh, probing the humans. That was cool. Mm. No, the, the weird thing is they, they were mining Earth. Right for natural resources, way easier to mine an asteroid. Okay? Right. Why, would you, like, co- the- why would you come all the way here? <laughs> right? It's like Earth is not your best supply of rare ingredients. Yeah, that's right. It's like know. passing by like 30 gas stations just because, you know, you, you want... You heard so many... Joey filled up a, 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 a handheld tank. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Okay. Huh. All right. Uh, I'm really glad we debunked that movie. It, do, it doesn't deserve it. There you uh, go. No, no. There's another one. I heard, I heard a radio play of, of aliens who came to Earth sucking up the water because they needed the hydrogen in the water for them to survive. Right. And I know that person probably you. had only just learned that water molecule is H2O. Right. And that's a, so they probably just learned that, but didn't learn anything else. Right. Right. That the universe is 90% hydrogen. hydrogen. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. There's, right. Exactly. You, you don't me, have to. Yeah. Let me find an expensive way to get the hydrogen, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's so funny. Yeah. It'd be like creating a big giant tank that uh, allows you to breathe air. Right. Right here. On the surface. Absolutely. All right, here we go. Uh, Okay, I think time for just one more question. Give it to me. Okay, let me give you this one. We know Violetta, 
Violetta is the 12 and a half year old. Uh oh, that's, that's Violetta. This is Violetta. Close. Yeah, brace yourself. Yeah, we got to close the show out with 12 year old Violetta, uh, who is also going to be an astrophysicist. All right. Love that at 12. She knows this. And she says this I only ever hear space junk described as being a negative thing. So this may be kind of a weird question, but I'd like to think on the bright side a little bit. Is there any possible upside to this space junk? Like even any way to turn trash into treasure? And then she goes, ha ha. So (laughs) clearly that's a 12-year-old's joke. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But go ahead. (laughs) All right, worry about what you have. Yeah, okay. So so to Violeta, this is um, very good uh, question. In fact, one of the things that I've been proposing to to NAS and other people is Let's use the space garbage as a sensor. And what I mean by that is this, right? So, uh, you know, Neil had, had raised this thing about non-gravitational astrodynamics at, at the beginning. And basically, there's like four things that motivate motion of stuff in space. There's gravity, and then there's everything else. The, everything else is like radiation, uh, electromagnetic type stuff, particles bombarding different surfaces. And so space environment, space weather just like with earth earth weather, is uh, very complex. But the thing is, just like we can tell how global circulation of of water uh, behaves based on following where the junk goes, like Chuck had brought up earlier, we could understand what the space weather is doing by following how it influences where the junk goes. And so we could actually try to solve the inverse problem of given the behavior of the junk, What's our interpretation of the space weather and use that for space weather science? Wow. Call me crazy. So these are these are proxy for like weather balloons almost right. or some or or weather buoys. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Interesting. That's but but just to be clear, when you say space weather, it's particles from the sun that create what we could say solar wind. That's right. So the space environment exactly has been by of recent decades has been known as space weather. That's right. Um, and so Wow, so they are all just just corks on the waves. Yeah. As they as they bob back and yeah. forth. So Whoa. I'd like to use them in that in that way, but uh, you know, no, nobody's given me any funding for that yet, so we'll see. Right well, on. after they hear this show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> after we edit out the Chuck part. Right, exactly. right, right, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> By the way, now that you said that, I take back everything I said about Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Jeff. I love you. <laughs> Cool. Well, it's, we got to end it there, but let me ask. So, Moriber, what's your social media presence? Yeah, so basically, if you go to like flow.page uh, forward slash Morba, you'll find all my stuff there. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Morba Jaw, and, uh, you know, also on Facebook and everywhere else. And so, yeah, I'm easy to find. Okay, Morba Jaw, M-O-R-I-B-A, yes. pronounced as it's spelled, spelled as it's pronounced, and Jaw, J-A-H. All right, and Chuck, you on social media? Yes, sir. At Chuck Nice Comic, there you go. And and I, I and I do. Uh, I don't officially follow you. I have you on a list. So oh well, uh, or maybe I do follow you. Do, do, wait, what's the? <laughs> no, well, well, you better start. <laughs> I track. I track you. I don't know if I officially follow, you, but I do track you. How do you not I know follow your me? This is so disappointing on so many levels. <laughs> My God, I'm. I've never been more. Injured. Okay, I'm so tonight. Injured. I will follow you. Thank okay. you. <laughs> 
All right, check. I think I already do follow you, though. I follow Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> and not me! <laughs> Are you nice. kidding me? Nice. Yowza, yowza. Maybe I'll, Thank you. I'll, I'll get on the bar and I'll dance in some big shoes. Maybe that will change your mind. Dun, you dun, 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 dun. There you go. All right, we've got to call it Chris there. More, but thanks for this. Uh, you know, as more things fall out of the sky, can we think of you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so here's what I want people to do, right? I want people to go to eyesonthesky.org, check it out, see what we're doing. Make a contribution if you're so inclined, and let's keep let's keep the 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 love on on being environmentalist for the sky alive and and well. Because you can't love what you don't know. Exactly. Or you can't love it as deeply as you ever knew you could until you have a have some kind of emotional psychological relationship uh, with the cause. So uh, it's all it's all good and continued success uh, down there in Austin. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, so I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. As always, bidding you keep working out. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.